Welcome back, this is Roy with AeroPro Coaching coming to you with our second podcast of Clipping In. Uh, Change this format a little bit, going over my stories as an endurance coach. So last week I introduced myself uh, in the new podcast, um, basically just telling stories about the in, uh, what an endurance coach does, uh, my journey from corporate America to uh, becoming an endurance coach, and instead of just defining it, uh, maybe just go through what I do each day um, and telling the different stories of the athletes I work with. So um, many times I tell people what I do um, for a living. Like they go, hey, what do you do? And I say, I'm a coach. And they're like expecting me to say like a football coach or a baseball coach. And I say, I coach endurance athletes. And they look at me like, what the fuck is that? And I understand because like endurance coaching is relatively new. I mean, if we think about it, these extreme sports where we're doing Ironman, I mean, that started what in the 80s, early 80s. Uh, and then power meters, you know, power meters are big things and power really didn't come out until maybe the early 80s, mid 80s. So endurance sports, uh, maybe the Tour de France, people have understood that, but did they really know that there's coaches behind the scenes uh, helping these uh, individuals uh, reach success? So um, I wanted to kind of give my story as an endurance coach full time. This is what I do. It's not my hobby. I don't do it on the side to pay a raise fee. I don't you know, I don't, uh, I, I went all in. I'm, I'm actually, this is what I do 24 seven, um, and to support my family. So, so last week we talked about me leaving corporate America and going after endurance coaching and, and what that kind of looked like. And I was, before I move forward, I, I kind of preparing for this podcast. I wanted to touch on a story or touch on something I thought was important in my journey. And when I was in, when I left high school, um, I weighed about 120 pounds. I messed up my knee pretty bad. Um, had surgery to to reconstruct it, and then uh, went to college. And at college, I started lifting weights, and I was like, because I was such a small guy, I was like, well, let me start lifting weights, and I really went all in on that. Um, I, I remember I went to watch a bodybuilding contest, and a guy named Lee Haney uh, was there, and. I, I was like, I want to be like that dude. I mean, he was massive, um, and just the way his body looked, uh, the symmetry, the uh, the proportions. And I was like, yeah, let me jump in on that. And, and I started lifting weights. And this was back in 92, 93. So it wasn't like lifting weights, bodybuilding, physique competition things weren't as uh, popular as they are today. Physical training, you know, if you walk in any gym, there's about 10 people there that can you know help you with strength training and gyms are everywhere now but back in the day it was gold's gym and world so i I was working out a world's gym uh working out um and really uh, you know i was i was eating five six times a day i was eating the egg whites and the chicken and um i was weighing my food i mean i was really analytical about it um i recorded in my journals i still have the journals of my uh lifting of my weights and all you know the computers weren't as prevalent now today, you know, you got things that will count your reps for you, um, you know, and teach, like so many programs out there that uh, we just didn't have back then. So then I was getting pretty big. I mean, I got up to about 175, 180, you know, from 120, um, started really pushing heavy weights um, and people started noticing that. And I was pure natural. So, I, you know, one of the reasons I was natural is because I was scared of needles. I don't like needles. So. But bodybuilding back in that days and in, in that period it was definitely a drug sport. You know, a lot of uh, steroids, anabolic steroids uh, going around. But there was also a lot of supplements 
uh, that were legal that are not legal today, like ephedra. Um, I remember there's a, uh, a, a ephedrine where you could take that in combination with a couple other things and it would help you get cut up. Um, there were just a few more things out there that, uh, that today are banned because we've learned a little bit about it and they're not healthy for you. But so I did this all naturally, which means I had to really focus, pay attention, you know, um, even if you do take anabolic steroids or t testosterone or whatever, you, you still have to work out. Like that's something I think people lose sight of. You know, they hear, you know, Lance Armstrong did drugs and he's a fake, but in all honesty, like, yeah, he did use drugs. I think we all know that. And so did probably uh, out of the hundred and like 40 other people lining up for the tour, probably 120 of them were on drugs and 20 of them weren't. And um, but he still had to work hard. He still had to train hard. Same thing with bodybuilders. I mean, if they're using drugs, it doesn't mean all of a sudden they get big muscles. You, it just provides you a, a playing field or more of an advantage than someone who didn't use drugs to, and you still had to work at it. But anyway, I, I decided to be natural. Um, and one, one, I was a college student. I couldn't afford it because uh, drugs were really expensive, hard to come by. And, uh, and two, I was scared of needles. So anyway, um, I ended up uh, doing a bodybuilding show in Gainesville and uh, I think I took second or third and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. So then I started doing more and more and people noticed and then they wanted to hire me. They wanted to know what I was doing. So I would tell them, I would freely tell them, um, you know, my nutrition strategies, um, you know, what I would do for lifting and how heavy and supersetting and drop sets and all these different things that you, you would do to stimulate muscle growth. And um, I would go on some back forums and read and read and read and t I had hundreds of books and, and just really get into it. And then even with my schooling, I really, uh, anytime I could take a class that would teach me something about nutrition, I was all over it. You know, University of Florida uh, was, a, was, was really a top-notch school in sports nutrition. So I learned a lot there. And I remember getting a job at General Nutrition Center and I started learning a lot, ins and outs of supplements. And I would have people come in to, and talk to me and I would sit and talk to them and give them advice and they would go and implement it and they would see gains. So right there, I'm starting to coach. I'm starting to see that beginnings or that groundwork of talking to people and uh, relating the material or the message I have and having them implement it and seeing results. So that's one thing with coaches out there, like you could have the best plan. Like I could have the best plan, the best nutrition, write it out, show it to you. But if I can't relay that message to you, and if I can't uh, get that across to each athlete in the way that they relate to, then I'm not gonna be successful. Cause I have tons of plans right now. I have tons of plans, I have tons of training. And I the, the key for me as a coach is I have to kind of figure out what plan, what method, what terminology, what strategy is gonna work for this athlete because they're not all the same. And so same thing, back in the day when I was talking about nutrition, you know, a guy would come in, he's kind of heavy. You know, if I start telling him to restrict his calories and eat like this, this, and this, that would work for about two weeks and then he would quit. So I knew then that like, yeah, going a certain diet, doing a certain thing would get a result, but how long is he gonna do it for? He's gonna do it for a week and then a week after that. So I always think in longevity, if I could get this guy to do something for six months, he would lose 10 pounds and then he would really buy into anything I said. So people would come in, I would size them up. Here's a guy's really hefty and I would say, hey, this is what you wanna first do. Start 
organizing the way you eat your food. Start working on the timing that you eat your food. Still eat what you, you know, the types of food. Maybe he's eating Twinkies, but we eat the Twinkies in the morning and we don't eat them before we go to bed. So just that alone, the person started to lose weight. And I would set that expectation, hey, this is gonna be a six month program. It's not gonna be two weeks to 10 pounds. So um, I, never, I never bought into like the two weeks to 10 pound weight loss bullshit. And I think that today that's where we're at. Like the keto diet, I'm not gonna argue whether it's good, bad. Um, I just, I personally think it's fucking not good because at at the end of the day, your body has a a carbohydrate system, a glycolytic system to burn carbs for a specific reason. We need fat, we need protein, we need carbs. We do need all three of those. Now, at the ratios or the amounts, that's where that may differ. If I'm a bodybuilder and I'm lifting weights heavily, I probably need a little bit more protein because I'm tearing down that muscle, I'm stressing it in a different way. I may need fats for recovery and cushioning and, and, and ligament and, and stuff and, and soft tissue health, but do I need as many carbs because the amount of cardiovascular work that I'm doing is very low. So maybe my carbohydrates can be at a lower level, but I do need some. I do need some carbohydrates just for general health. To go down to a ketosis, to put yourself in a state of starvation or a state where you're, it's eating away at something is probably not a good thing. I get it. Every time somebody mentions the keto diet to me, the first thing they say, but I lost 20 pounds, but I look good, but are you healthy? But are you healthy? Now, there'll be people out there saying this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, sitting around eating a donut, sitting around eating you know, sugary foods uh, are, is definitely not good for you. But to say I'm not gonna eat carbs for the rest of my life is just fucking ridiculous. So you can't have a beer, you can't have a pizza, you can't go out to dinner one night with, your, with a friend or your buddies and they're having, a, you know, they're having some carbs and you're like, no, I can't, I gotta get to ketosis. So I stick a, my finger so I, my fucking thing reads. I'm at a, you know, a certain level of ketosis in my body. That's just, anyway. At the end of the day, I believe a diet or a nutrition program should be something that we could live forever on. So like, I wanna be able to eat that way for the rest of my life. Now, so I would go back. I wouldn't teach a specific diet, but I would teach, hey, you wanna eat this amount of macro protein, this amount of carbohydrates, this amount of fat. And then they would do that for a couple of weeks and then we go, hey, how's everything going? The scale's moving in the right direction, great, keep moving. If it wasn't, we would adjust that around. And we would bring those carbohydrates or we would bring those fats to a certain uh, amount. And then boom, they would go from there. And then we'd start to add supplementation into that. We add certain supplements at certain times and those supplements would give them more gains. And then I would say, hey, why don't you start getting into the gym more often, adding more lean mass? Because a lot of people don't understand this. Like you can have a great diet, right? Your diet's really good, but you could still be fat if you don't have enough muscle. So it, the more muscle you put on, the greater capacity for fat burning that you have. So like if I, ha- if I put on three pounds of lean muscle, like I'm going to look better, I'm going to feel better, and I'm going to burn more calories. I'm gonna burn more calories. So if I don't work out and all I do is diet and I'm a soft person, so I'm a, wa- I'm a skinny fat person, the body doesn't need to burn as many calories to support fat versus lean mass or lean muscle. So I would say, hey, instead of just dieting now, why don't you get into the gym? And then they would get into the gym and then they would ask me, what do you do? How do you do this? 
And obviously a new person versus a person who wants to do a, a, an advanced bodybuilding competition, their, uh, the way they lift is gonna be different. And here I go. That's the start of me looking at individuals, picking out what works, and setting up a system or a strategy for them to get the results they want. And, and these people would get these results. And back then, I think I would, I would give it away for free, and then if they wanted me to work out with them or come and see them or write down something, I would charge them like 20 bucks. I'm like, holy shit, I'm making money at something I love doing. It's something that I, you know, I was passionate about, and I'm making money. I'm like, great, this is awesome. And so I remember I made a flyer and I would put flyers up in this apartment complex and these people would say, hey, come and train with me. I would go down and train with them. Um, and then I was, I ended up uh, getting a job at Gainesville Health and Fitness and I became a corporate trainer. So this is a big, like, um, like an LA Fitness or some of these big chains. And I, all I did there though was follow their routine. People would come in, they would do a circuit training, they would give you this candy-coated thing, and then I would just co copy their reps down, and then on the way, and that was it. And I was like, this is bullshit. This is, basically, you're giving the same stuff to everybody, you're not customizing it, you don't care about the actual individual results, and I was like, I'm out of here, I'm not gonna do it. So then I went back into it, and, and I went back into teaching people how to uh, strength train and how to live properly and how to and eating nutritiously like you know I, all these diets that are around today they're no different they're just called different things like the paleo diet which is hey it's fruits vegetables a little some carbohydrates eating natural foods like uh, eating meats and stuff like that yeah and now we're calling it paleo we called it something different back then and they're the keto diet where you're not eating that's no different than any other uh diet that was in the past we had before, back in uh, the 90s, it was a low-fat diet. So people were going on these low-fat diets, and um, and now you know we were we were trying to uh, go to zero fat. And then we found out that going zero fat wasn't good for you. So think about that. Everything was fat-free, fat-free, fat-free. Now fats are good. 20 years later, 15 years later, but carbs are bad. So what do you think it's going to be in 10 or 15 years? The same thing. Car we're gonna say, oh, carbs aren't bad for you. It's the type of carbs, the amount of carbs, and the activity. We, you know, if you're active, if you're doing endurance sports, if you are doing a, a CrossFit, if you're doing different things, there is a different diet for each one of them. If you are in an office all day and you don't work out, there's a different diet for that. So it's a different diet based on what you do, what you want to do, and the objectives that you have. Not, hey, everybody should be on a ketogenic diet. Okay. Um, all right, so then uh, I ended up coming back to Tampa. I did one more bodybuilding show. I think I did fourth or fifth in that. And then I stopped. I stopped lifting uh, and uh, I got started working. I had to get it, you know, I was like, hey, I gotta get a real job. I'm making like a couple hundred dollars doing some personal training, but nothing substantial, nothing that would lead to a business. Um, and so then I stopped and I really stopped everything. I didn't, um, I went into corporate America, started working. Uh, building the corporate ladder. I didn't lift weights anymore. I didn't exercise and I started to um, Get fat. I started to get obese and I was you know, probably getting close to over 200 pounds, but not a good 200 pounds so um, And I didn't like it. I wasn't happy, but I kept doing uh, Corporate America getting better and better up corporate America because my mindset was always to be the best so I always had that mindset and I just applied that to becoming the best I could in corporate America Eventually, I got so fat and tired that I was like, hey, I need to get into shape. 
So I started getting into running and endurance sports and riding a bike um, and I started to see the weight coming off uh, and I started, I did a triathlon. I was like, oh, let me do a triathlon. I did, I did my first triathlon was here in Tampa, uh, in St. Peter's called Top Gun. I did that and after that I did about 30 or 40 right after that and I loved it. I got into it. I was really full on triathlon, geeking out and um, you know, everything with it, you know, all the gear and toys and trinkets. And then I ended up uh, burning out a little bit, you know, too much of a good thing. And that's something like I talk to a lot of my athletes is there's a process to endurance sports. It takes about three years to become a really good triathlete. And a lot of people, it depends, you know, a lot of people want to come in like gangbusters and like, I love that first one and I want to do 20 of them and I want to do this and, and I want to do an Ironman. I want to do a half Ironman. I want to do five Ironman. And I was like, whoa, 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 slow it down. And I try to counsel them or talk to them from my experience. Like, hey, I did what you did. I understand what you're doing. But you want to bring it back to, hey, make this healthy. Don't make it an obsession. Make it a healthy thing. Make it a lifestyle. And um, let the uh, training be a release for you and not another job. Because I was making it another job for me. And so then I was like, this is unhealthy. I started to burn out. And so that's what I teach the athletes. I was like, hey, you know, let's start, do a couple of triathlons. In between there, let's work on some training. And then let's go to the next level of triathlon. And then working our way up from maybe a short distance triathlon called a sprint all the way up to Ironman over time. Or maybe you don't even want to do an Ironman. Maybe it's just something you want to go to a half Ironman, but become really good at it. So. I think I, at first it's finishing events and then I like to keep pushing that carrot to doing better and better. Because I've never met an athlete ever tell me that they were ever satisfied. So even a couch to 5K person, they still wanna get better, faster. They never just say I'm satisfied. That's why I fucking hate coaches who just say I deal with beginners or I don't, we don't need all that technology because they're a beginner. That's fucking bullshit because their time, the time that they're spending away from their family, the time that they're spending, whether you're new or a pro, is still valuable. Like our time is, is, is not endless. Like we, every day you get 24 hours and I'm not gonna fucking waste two hours of someone's time because they're a beginner. I'm gonna give them the same level, the same level of, uh, of, of service that a professional would get. Now, do I give them the same workout? No, I do not. I mean, I'm not gonna give somebody a five hour ride if they're just trying to get on the bike and get fit, I'm gonna give them an hour ride. But am I gonna be detailed with it? Am I gonna give them the same explanation of cadence uh, or power or effort or speed? Yeah, I am. I'm gonna give it the same exact way because I'm not gonna fucking candy coat it down to something that's a lower level just because they're a beginner. It's like your time is the same value or the same as the professional. They get 24 hours, you get 24 hours. So that's like something that really irritated me uh, when, 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 when dealing with that. So, um, so then I, you know, I, get, I get burned out, I get through the, um, I, I do, I think I did one more half Ironman and I was like, I'm done. I get into road cycling. 
and uh, road racing. And I do a uh, time trial. So I do an event where it's as fast as you can, by yourself, solo, as hard as you can, and the fastest time wins. And you're on these fancy bikes with aerodynamic everything. And I did that. I don't remember how well I did, but I loved it. I'm like, wow, this is great. I'm a bike racer. Then I jumped into a group ride. And I'll remember, this is the funniest story. I took my time trial bike, which is a triathlon bike, to one of the hardest group rides here in our area. And I go to the A ride because, hey, I'm a good athlete. Let me jump on the A ride. I jump on the A ride with my time trial bike. I go off the front. I'm off the front by myself. And then two seconds later, they catch me and drop me. And from there on, I kept, I kept coming back, kept trying, and I learned. Like people were making fun of me because I'm on a tri bike. And, hey, they're like, don't go in the fucking aero bars. And I was like, why? And they're like, oh yeah, because I'm gonna crash everybody because my brakes are not, you know, are I'm not near the brakes. So then I end up buying a road bike. I buy a road bike, um, and I get on that road bike, and now I'm, I'm, I'm I do my first race. Uh, and then I crash, of course, because I'm a beginner racer. Cat 5, I crash. Um, and so then, I'm again, I'm, I go into cycling uh, all in, endurance sports all in. I start to read everything I can. I watch everything I can. Um, I get a power meter to monitor my training. And this is back when power meters are really expensive and there weren't that many around. I remember training in my garage um, and a trainer and watching videos of of. of cycling and really getting involved. So uh, then I met a guy uh, who's a coach and I go, I said, he gave me some tips. He was helping me out. And I go, well, what do you do? You know, he goes, well, I coach. I coach endurance athletes. I'm like, what? You do this all day long? He goes, yeah, this is what I do. And I'm like, holy shit. This is the same thing I did when I was doing strength training, but now on the endurance side. So then I started to learn. I started to move up the ranks of, of road racing. And as I'm doing this, that's when I get into AJ's and started my bike fitting career. I started doing bike fitting and now I'm racing my bike. I'm a category four at the time, um, or excuse me, I'm a cat five at the time. And then um, I meet a, a, a guy, we do our first road race. So before that I was doing a time trials. Then I go and do a road race. And a road race is a mass start event. So 30, 40, 80, 90 guys line up and we ride you know, anywhere from 30 to 60 miles. So I'm lining up this race and um, the, you know, we, uh, the adrenaline's pumping, everything's going, it's new to me. We go, boom, off the whistle, I'm riding, I'm in the middle of the group. I'm like, I can do this, I've done these group rides, I did really good in the group ride. So I'm here on a race and then about 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes in, I get dropped, meaning the pack, the main group of riders ride away from me because I can't hold the effort, their pace. and Lo and behold, another guy gets dropped around the same time. He may have lasted a little bit longer or I lasted a little longer. But anyway, we start riding back together. <laughs> it was just me and him. And I, and I, I was like, man, this guy's a real asshole because he hasn't saying anything to me. And I'm like, typical fucking roadie, not saying anything to me. Um, we ride back together. We both get dropped together. So you think you would say, hey, whatever, start chatting. And uh, so then... I get back in the car, I go home, I'm like, son of a bitch. So then I start training more and I go to this group ride down from my house and the guy that I rode back with, who I didn't know his name at the time, uh, is there and he's getting his bike out of the car. And I'm like, huh. So I walk over to him, I was like, hey man, that was a hard race. And he's like, I can barely understand what he's saying, but it, lo and behold, became one of my best friends, his name's Bruno. 
and he could barely speak English because he came from Brazil and he spoke very little English. And so from there, just something about him, me and him gravitated towards each other and we would start doing all the group rides together. It, you know, we're always, it's me and Bruno, me and Bruno, me and Bruno, and then we start training a little bit together. And through the last 10 years, uh, he's been one of my best friends and we pushed each other. Well, what was interesting about this is when I was a cat three, he was a four or five. So I've moved up the ladder. Cat one is the highest, started as a five. So I go to cat threes, he's a four or five at the time. And I'll never forget this because he asked me one time and he goes, he trained hard, he loved cycling. I mean, he was very passionate, he was a hard worker. Um, so it wasn't due to lack of effort. He just didn't know exactly what to do. And he goes, hey, how do I get better? How do I do well? He goes, you're doing well, how do I get there? And I said, hey, first thing you gotta do, buddy, is lose some weight. He's a bigger dude, cycling. He's very muscular though. He wasn't, it wasn't like it was fat. I was like, lose some weight. I said, this is what you should do to lose some weight. And I gave him some tips. And then I said, this is the kind of riding you should be doing. I was like, you should do this type of riding. And I knew if I got too in over my head, like if I told him too technical, they wouldn't work out. So I gave him very basic stuff. All of a sudden, over time, probably six months, could be a year, he went from probably 220, 210 to 175, uh, 180, 185, somewhere in that, training like a madman, and then turned, started winning races. Started riding away from the group, and I remember that he, he was winning races. And I, re I remember when he was down and out so much that he was like wanting to cry because he couldn't win a race, but he, he had such passion towards cycling. And I'm like, fuck, man, here's a guy who has a job, he works all day, and he has a passion for cycling, he, and he's never gonna make money at it in the sense of a professional, because cycling is an early age sport. You gotta be young uh, to, to really do something on a professional team on a higher level. But he had a passion for it. So my tips that I gave him pushed him to lose the weight. He loses the weight, he rides, and now he's one of the best cyclists in the area. Like he has won, uh, last this year alone, he took, uh, what was it, fourth? Or I think it was fourth? Fourth in nationals and the crit. And he's won master regionals a bunch of times. And he's one of the most feared riders because he's he, he rides with such brute force and tenacity and I you know I couldn't be more proud of, of Bruno and that's why he's one of my best friends but the thing with that is he probably doesn't even know this until this podcast if he listens to it is he is one of the catalysts to me becoming a coach because I'm like I gave this guy some information he's used it and he's gotten better I'm like wow I could probably use I could probably do what I did in bodybuilding and strength and nutrition and bring it on over to endurance sports so I start bike fitting and then every bike fit, I'm coaching people positioning on the bike and you know what, showing him some things that I've learned at Retool. And um, in my first, I would say probably those first 50 fits were definitely not the best fits. You know, with fitting, uh, you know, the, the more experience you get, the better you are. I'm obviously a lot better now than I was, you know, back then. So at this point in time, um, you know, I'm probably three or four years into my journey of fitting. and. <laughs> uh, I go to St. Pete Bikes, I'm, and at that point, I uh, start training I, with uh, the owner of the shop. His name is Mark Yeager, exceptional rider, uh, ex-pro, and I remember him coming and training with me, and he would, be, he would, we would kind of, he would be like mock me a little bit about the power and all this, but I was really into it. And, 
Oh, and I remember we would do a ride. It was me and him side by side. We're side by side riding. And we called it the 220, 230 watt ride, but it was a lot greater than that. And we would ride side by side with each other until we cracked each other or dropped. And I remember in the beginning, I would crack, 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 and eventually I would hold on. And, and I don't know if I ever, ever cracked him because he's a super strong athlete. Um, but the, more, the, the reason for that is like, I picked a, a training partner. You know, I had Bruno for a bit and then I moved on because I moved. And then there was Mark and I rode with Mark and he pushed me to the next level. I mean, I had my fastest uh, time trials. I raced my best when I trained with him. And he had some old school methods, which are great. And I, I would still use some of those today um, um, with my training. And he is, uh, he, he had pushed myself to another level. And I think that's, I think one of the things with endurance sports, because it is individualized, it is like a solo thing, is to find somebody that you can train with. Find a training partner, a buddy to push you. And like right now, I don't have one, but I use group rides. So I'll go to a group ride. And that's my accountability to be on that group ride. I'm gonna be on that group ride. Now I do my training in and around that and then I do the group ride. So I think accountability in the sport or in any sport is one of the biggest reasons people hire an endurance coach is, or a coach in general is to have that accountability. And back in the day I was having accountability to Bruno and the back in the day I have it to Mark to be there. Now it's you know a group and that accountability is always shifting and changing. Maybe it's not a race, you know, maybe it's not an event, maybe it's a group ride that you want to do and you want to be accountable to that. Um, a coach, he's going to hold you accountable to numbers and data um, or to doing the work, you know, uh, and, and so that accountability, that's one of the biggest reasons why people hire coaches is that accountability factor. Because I don't know, I, I, there are probably a thousand coaches who know what I know. Uh, maybe they deliver it differently and they have a different strategy and a different uh, process, but the big, but the biggest thing is we provide accountability. We provide a certain accountability to the athletes. So, all right, so I'm with Mark and, and uh, learned a bunch. I had Bruno and then all of a sudden the wind tunnel starts to come back into the picture. So the wind tunnel guy calls me up and he goes, hey man, I want you to come on over, check something out. And he gave me the address, I roll up and there's a big van, a big uh, like semi uh, that they converted and put the wind tunnel in. So now the wind tunnel becomes mobile. And the wind tunnel is in a mobile big semi van and we're testing it and it's working. And what I mean it's working is we're comparing it to data that's already out there. So there's data out there and we're doing a wheel and the wheel data is you know, getting close. Um, and close enough, excuse me, for a wind tunnel. So he goes, hey, here's what I wanna do. I want you to work in the wind tunnel get used to it and we're gonna bring it to St. Anthony's Triathlon. We're gonna bring it to the triathlon, we're gonna set it up there, <coughs> excuse me, and when it's set up there, you're gonna do some uh, wind tunnel testing. So St. Anthony's, they don't let us put it on the main area. And this guy is tenacious, he's a really good businessman and he goes, well that's fine, we'll find a parking lot near it and we'll park there and we'll bring people to the wind tunnel, and we did within uh, probably 100 yards from the main area of St. Anthony's Triathlon, and it's, this is a big triathlon in St. Pete, Florida, we set up the wind tunnel. And people are coming in and they're looking at it and, and we do some testing on uh, Michelle e. Jones, who's an Olympic athlete. We have some pros from Trek coming in and a bunch of different athletes uh, doing wind tunnel testing and they loved it. Everybody loved it, really enjoyed the time that they spent, 
uh, the knowledge on fitting, the knowledge on aerodynamics, and we came away going, this is successful, it was a great venture, and what are we gonna name the person who is running this wind tunnel? Well, they came up with the AeroPro. And so the person running the wind tunnel is called the AeroPro, and I was like, okay, yeah, that's cool, it's kind of funny, it was joking about it, but yeah, it was called AeroPro. So that's where the AeroPro came from. Um, the name AeroPro came from uh, the wind tunnel, the person who was running the wind tunnel. And um, I thought, I was like, well, when I start my company, which I, at that time I wasn't coaching, I was just doing bike fitting. But fast forward, you know, a couple more years when I do start coaching, I was like, I wanna do the AeroPro because I'm still working in the tunnel and that marketing from the wind tunnel with the AeroPro uh, as the coach, I, is going to be great you know that would be a that's going to be you know that's that i'm going to be able to use both so but again when we were at st anthony's i'm doing that i'm thinking i'm just going to be a bike fitter and working in the wind tunnel i did not think i was going to do coaching i was working in the wind tunnel and i was doing aerodynamic testing and then that was it and then i leave st pete bikes and i go and work at a performance uh, center where we're doing threshold testing we're doing vo2 testing uh, where we prick your finger take blood we have a mask on your face um, and so we, I, I take my next step in the journey to learn a lot of physiological tests. So we, we start to look at testing, we start to look at some upper level performance things, body fat, compositioning, uh, different types of strength training. And so I go to this performance center and I meet a guy who's a coach and he has his own business and he's coaching full time. And he goes, hey, I remember you, I, you did my bike fit. And I did his bike fit, and I didn't remember that I did, but I did his bike fit for him. And I remember us talking, and I didn't know he was a coach, but now I run into him and he's a coach. We're doing all this physiological testing from a performance center. I'm doing a little bit of work on the side for the wind tunnel. And he goes, why don't you think about coaching? Why don't you think about coaching for me? Um, and I, you know, we sat and we talked a little bit about it. I go, you know what, let me think about it. Um, and I, I, let me see where I'm at. Now, I'm about three or four years into my journey as a bike fitter, aerodynamics, worked at a couple different shops, and I said, well, let me think about it. Let me think about it. It came back to me, and I, I, the reason I didn't jump at it is I really wanted to be proficient at bike fitting to the point where I knew, you know, I don't wanna say everything, but I knew a lot, because I never know everything. Like, that's the thing, like, I'm always learning from everyone. Even people that I know are wrong, I learn. Like, um, I, that's the one thing that I've carried with me through this journey of 10 years is that I pick and um, I pick, I've learned from everyone, you know, uh, from every athlete that I've worked with, I've learned something. From every coach that I've come in contact, I've learned something. And when somebody comes to me with a new uh, thought process, new training, new idea, I grab onto it, I study it, I research it, and then I either give it merit or I don't give it merit. If I don't, it doesn't mean they're wrong, it just means I don't believe in it. It's not my system, it's, I can't implement it. Um, and some people are just fucking wrong. Like there's data out there that, you know, support like factual things. And I'm like, that's just wrong. It's not right. And so then I learned like why, the thing I learned from people who are just clearly wrong is like, why are they wrong? You know, why are they seeing it? And that's their logic. Some people have a specific logic. So you don't, I don't want to argue or get in confrontations with them. So that's the one thing early on I would get in confrontations. I would argue with people. And now I don't, I don't really argue. I just give informations and facts. If I give you information and I give you fact and you still argue with me, 
then that's on you. Yet that I don't have to win over everyone. I don't have to coach everyone. Not everyone is my client. Not everyone should be uh, fit by me. Not everyone should be coached by me. But before I thought that, like everyone should get a fit for me. Everyone should coach for me. Everyone should listen to what I say, and they shouldn't. There are certain people who should and who will who accept the messages or message that I give and certain people who won't and same for them. Like there's certain people that I will accept their message and there's certain people I just won't. And so that's something that, that I learned. So uh, that's, I, I just wanted to wait before I took that leap into coaching. And uh, so with bike fitting, uh, I stuck with that and, um, and I was working at this in, 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 uh, performance center, um, meeting a lot of people, meeting a lot of clients and then um, this coach came along and he said, hey, I want you to coach for me. I think you'd be really good at it and think about it. And so I'm gonna leave it there today. I'm gonna leave it there, it's a little bit longer. Um, I rambled a little bit, I'm sorry, I'm just going through this process. And I write some notes down, but a lot of this I'm just talking based on my experience. So if I do go off on a little bit of a tangent, I'm sorry. But next week, I'm gonna talk about starting getting into coaching and then I'm going to talk a little bit about specific uh, examples of wind tunnel testing. We take our tunnel and we go to the Hincapi uh, development team and we take it to go to the Kenda five hour team and started to work with some professional athletes, some people who are doing this uh, full time uh, as a profession and what I learned on those trips, some pretty cool stories. I met Frank Adreu. If, uh, Frankie was a, a great person when I was out there. So meeting Frankie, meeting uh, Francisco Mancebo, uh, who uh, was who rode in the tour, uh, who uh, was on the podium at the Tour de Spain, uh, meeting uh, George Hincapi, um, Hotel Domestique, where his place is in Greenville, setting up the wind tunnel and that experience there. And then also, how did I get to coaching and my first two athletes? So I want to tell you a little bit about my first two athletes and their journeys. Um, and so that's it for today. You know, I got a little bit of this is just telling my story of how I went from corporate America, got into endurance sports, and then giving you some things that I've learned along the way and maybe some value into coaching things that you could use, um, whether it's a mindset, a concept, or specific workouts and things or nutritional things that may work for you. So that's what this is all about. It's not gonna be like data analytics. It's not gonna be about looking at specific power meter readings. It's gonna be a story and in those stories, I'll give you things that I've learned that have worked for athletes um, and, and uh, maybe some, you know, just I guess some cool stories. At least I think they're cool stories. They may not be. So um, I appreciate you guys uh, tuning in. I appreciate you listening to me ramble on. And as always, thank you. Up your watts. And we're out.